I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 446. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. Let's play a game. I'm going to say, tear off the roof, lower me down, whatever it takes to get me to you. What room am I in? These are the lyrics of the bridge of Matt Mayer's song, In the Room, and they are what inspired my study in the Gospel of Mark this week. And if you're not sure what room I'm talking about, I promise not to leave you hanging. But first, let's listen. I just want to be in the room. Okay, back to our opening question. If I say, tear off the roof, lower me down, whatever it takes to get me to you, what room am I in? You are in the room with Jesus in Mark chapter 2. I was drawn into this scene in a deep way this week, and I set out to picture exactly what was going on. Who was in the room? What scripture tells us was important to the different people represented in that room? And I'm also really drawn to this idea that our song talks about. I want to be in the room when Jesus moves. And I do. So what does a move of Jesus look like? And what can we learn from this scene in Mark chapter 2? So let's start by reading it together. It is 12 verses, uh, this portion of the scene. But I want to set the scene exactly as Scripture describes it without adding my two cents at first, without um, kind of summarizing for you. So let's read Mark 2 verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, 
Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. All right, we are going to take the bite of making observations and writing them down. Now, BITE is an acronym, B-I-T-E. It stands for Bible Interaction Tool Exercises. Making observations is one bite. Uh, Writing them down in a list is another bite. And the first word I'm going to put on my observation list is returned. Jesus returned to Capernaum, which leads to the question, when was he here last? And Where did he just come from? So these questions, they can be answered by taking the bite of reading in context. If you read Mark chapters one through three, you will see a blazing fast recap of Jesus's life and ministry up to this point. Mark is like the Cliff's Notes of gospel writers, okay? So the next word I put on my observation list is home. Where was Jesus's home? I didn't realize he had a home. I I thought he was more like a traveling evangelist. And to be sure, he was. Scholars believe this home base that he's just that's being described here is the home of Simon Peter. Okay, the next thing I put on my observation list was crowded. You see, word had gotten out that Jesus was back in town and they crowded around the home. Almost everything I read said that they didn't fill the house like it would have been a very small room, but rather that they were crowded around the entry to the house and that Jesus may have been in the doorway speaking to them. It's okay. You know, I don't know that that matters, but it gives us a different perspective. I I saw a piece of art just this week where they were all inside, but it just seems like a, a small home like that, just a handful of people would have been able to be inside. So it makes a lot of sense that they would have crowded around the home. All right, so my next observation that I put on my list was Jesus was preaching the word to them. Now, the word for word here is logos and can also be translated the message. So what was Jesus's message? Well, if you took time to read in context, you would have seen it summarized in Mark chapter one, verse 15. It says, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, obviously he was not saying that on repeat, um, like some sort of robot, but that is like the summary gist of his overall message. This is the message that Jesus spoke. Repent and believe in the gospel. He talked about the kingdom of God. You can read all about it in Mark and all the other gospels. This was his message. And also, uh, potentially he was unpacking things from the Old Testament, which was also would have, but Logos would also mean uh, scripture from, and his scripture in that day was the Old Testament. So my next observation was four men and a paralytic on a mat. Now remember, I said I wanted to ponder the scene. One of the things I meditated on this week was 
who was in the room and what was important to them. And that, if you're going to picture that scene, who's in the room, that's taking the bite of using your imagination. And I do hope that you take time to picture the scene. Uh, Picture a modest house in Capernaum with an outside stairway to reach the roof. And roofs were flat, uh, and they were tiled, and they were covered with thatch. So the four men would have had to haul the mat with their friend up a, a narrow staircase. This is not you know, um, it's not a very wide area to get to the roof, tear up the tiles, dig through the dirt and make a hole big enough to lower a mat with a man on it through. So far, what do we see? We see an impenetrable crowd of people gathered. We see these five men wanting to get to Jesus, but they can't because of the crowd. And so they make a bold move. Uh, I saw dirt falling from the ceiling, not to mention destruction of property. This is a huge hole in the roof. So these are things that I see. Uh, my next observation was determined. It's, it's like the determination expressed in our song, whatever it takes to get me to you. Mark 2, 4 says, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. But where I see determination, Jesus saw the next word on my list, which is faith. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Uh, Is it the faith of the four friends or is it the faith of the four friends and the paralytic? Uh, Either way, there, uh, T-H-E-I-R, implies the friends are a part of this equation. So I add faith of the friends to my observation list. I do believe that all five men had uh, great faith to be able to go through this process. Um, And you can see that, again, by their determination. Now, the next thing I added to my observation list was faith leads to forgiveness. Because in verse 5, Jesus says to the man on the mat, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, it's at this point we are introduced to another group of people, which is who are the scribes. Uh, They were in the crowd, but distinct from it. So I add to my observation list scribes. And then I also put questioning in their hearts because that is what they were doing. These scribes were offended at Jesus's brash claim to be able to forgive sins. And their question is a theologically sound one, by the way. Who can forgive sins but God alone? To which Jesus is like, yep, you got it. (laughs) So in the commentary, exalting Jesus in Mark, and I will link to um, all of these things, all of these resources that I've used in my study this week in the show notes, michellekneezat.com forward slash 446. But in the commentary, exalting Jesus in Mark, uh, I read, in Jewish thinking, even the Messiah could not forgive sins. God and God alone has that authority and right. Those first century Jews knew exactly what was going on. If he can forgive sins, then Jesus is God. That was such an interesting idea to me because I guess I have such a Trinitarian view. I believe that um, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three in one, and uh, but that is not the Jewish way of thinking. So even the Messiah, I mean, already we know that they don't think he's the Messiah, uh, but the idea that um, that even the Messiah can't forgive sins. So they knew exactly what claim he was making. All right. So the next thing on my observation list, as we just move through this scene verse by verse, is Jesus knew what they were thinking. 
I think it's kind of funny. I They don't think he's the Messiah. They definitely don't think he's God. They think he's a blasphemer for saying such things. And then he goes and responds like an omniscient God and tells them what they're thinking uh, without them actually saying it. So <laughs> Jesus responds in his quintessential way with more questions. So I put on my observation list, Jesus's questions back. And uh, you can read this again in verse eight. And immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Uh, Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. So I've added the word easier to my observation list. It just popped out at me. I find it as a very interesting word choice. Uh, When I looked it up in the Greek, it means requiring little effort, just like easier means in English. Uh, It's an interesting question, though, isn't it? On the surface, we might say it's easier to make claims than to back them up, right? Uh, Forgiveness of sins is invisible. It's a, a power move in the spiritual realm, obviously one that has eternal consequences, Uh, but I wouldn't think it's easy. (laughs) The miracle of healing is yet another power move, one that is visible, seems harder to accomplish because both are impossible without God's power. Again, neither are easy in that there is no effort. Like no effort to me implies no intentionality. Jesus shows great intention with every word and action in this room. So I just ponder that this week. I just, that word jumped out at me. And so I added it to my list. All right, the next thing I wrote on my observation list is Son of Man. And this name jumped out at me, number one, because I love the names of God in the Bible as they reveal deep things about him, but also because I did a whole episode recently where we explored the Gospel of Matthew looking for references to the Son of Man. And you can check out that episode by heading over to michellenizat.com forward slash 436. All right, the next word on my observation list was authority. Jesus had authority on earth to forgive sins. Um, back to the uh, uh, a commentary by Rodney Cooper on the on the book of Mark. He says, if Jesus could perform the bodily miracle, he was claiming authority to perform the spiritual one as well. Oh, so well written. It just really encapsulates it. If Jesus could perform the bodily miracle, he was claiming authority to perform the spiritual one as well. All right, the next word on my observation list was external miracle. I wrote it like that because the first miracle was more miraculous than the second, in my opinion. The first miracle was when this man's sins were forgiven because of his faith. Uh, Let me say it again. It is a greater miracle that the paralytic's sins were forgiven than his physical body healed. But Jesus cares for the man's body and spirit and displays his authority visibly through an external miracle when he turns to the man and says this, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The final observation on my list was the crowd's response. Uh, The bullets below that include things like amazed, glorified God, and acknowledged. This external miracle stunned the crowd. It, It holds the sense that they were not expecting that which we will unpack a little bit more in a minute. I love that it holds this idea of wonder. They are in awe of Jesus and his authority and ability. I think it's no accident that Jesus's authority is in direct contrast to the borrowed authority of the experts in the Jewish law sitting right there among them. 
But the crowd's awe and wonder turned into praise. They gave credit to God for these miracles as they should. And in their worship of God, they acknowledged their current state, that they had never seen anything like it. Okay, so now we have a pick a complete picture of the room. We can envision with some historical context what the scene may have looked like. We see Jesus, the crowd, the friends, the paralytic, the scribes. We see what happened and we know what was said. We've read the story for ourselves. We've taken the time to make some observations. Now let's see if we can agree on what was important to the different people in the scene. I'm going to give you my opinions based on the text here and what I know of the context. Uh, but again, this is this is moving into not what does it say, but what does it mean? And so let's start with the crowd. All right. Why were there so many people crowding around Jesus? Do you think it was because of his message? I'm, I'm going to be a little cynical here and say it was because he heard, they heard he healed people. <laughs> you know, uh, the last time he was in town, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, it says in the previous chapter. And it says the whole city was gathered together at the door in Mark chapter one. So the last time he was here, they brought him people for him to heal. So part of me chuckles at how amazed they were when Jesus performed a miracle. Wasn't that what they were expecting? Isn't that how it is with Jesus, though? No matter how much we know about him by studying his revealed word, no matter if we've read or heard about how he has moved, when we experience a move of God for ourselves, it stuns us, even if that's what we came expecting. Now, what about the four friends and the paralyzed man? Well, Jesus acknowledges their faith, but he's God. So what characteristics of their faith can we observe? Well, I've mentioned it before. They were determined, but they seemed also desperate and dependent. So desperate, determined, and dependent. They're desperate for healing, determined to get to Jesus no matter what it takes, and dependent upon him for the healing they seek. I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that they did not come for spiritual healing. They lowered their paralyzed friend through the ceiling for the same reason that the crowds gathered. They heard Jesus healed people and they wanted to be physically healed. All right, let's move on to the scribes. What's important to them on a good day is keeping the law. Why would they be in this crowd? You know, to me, to see what the hoopla was all about, I'm sure uh, Jesus is beginning to make quite a splash in the region. But as they sit here, experts in the law, they see a man who seems to be breaking it. And we have, of course, the distinct pleasure of and privilege of having the whole picture. But I can see how it would be quite jarring to your whole faith and identity to experience Jesus like this. Uh, His authority rubs up against everything they thought they knew from scripture and tradition. So the scribes in this room are offended, uh, but blind to the move of God right in front of them. All right. So finally, let's look closely at Jesus. Um, I'm currently writing a fictional story in my spare time. Uh, Every good story I've learned has to have a protagonist. This is the main character that the story is about. Everything in a good story has to matter to that main character. Everything in a good story has to matter to the protagonist. And while readers care about what happens, those are those are things also known as the plot, they care more about why what happens matters to the protagonist. Jesus is the protagonist of the Bible. 
Jesus is the protagonist of this scene. He is the main character. And as we read uh, this, we need to take the bite of starting with God, even though technically I've saved it for last, (laughs) but taking the bite of starting with God. When I start with God, I'm looking for his character, his conduct, and his concerns. So we've already identified Christ's conduct in this scene. He's preaching the word, forgiving sins. He's healing. He's revealing his divinity. Uh, As far as his character, again, we see his divinity. He is God. Uh, He has authority over sin and sickness. You may uncover more as you ponder this. I I see great compassion uh, uh, in him and in his actions. Again, as you ponder this, you may see more, but I want to get to his concern. So what is Jesus concerned about? And this is a really important question because the other people in this room were not concerned with what Jesus was concerned about. And I wonder how many times we enter a room wanting and expecting God to move, but we miss it completely because our concerns are not aligned with his. The crowd wanted miracles. The friends and the paralyzed man wanted miracles. And the scribes wanted religious tradition to be upheld. But Jesus did not start the day with healing or tradition. He started the day with the word. Jesus was most concerned about his message. When we are in a room where the word is being spoken and people are responding in repentance, we have just been in a room where Jesus has moved. And when people come into the room with desperation and determination and dependence on God alone, God forgives their sin. Faith leads to forgiveness and that is a move of God. We can sing as loud as we want. I just want to be in the room when you move and I'm not leaving till you do. And he's standing in the doorway saying, I'm moving and you're missing it. Jesus cares about his message. He cares about faith and the forgiveness of sin. He cares about his authority and divinity on on display, leading to God's glorification. He also shows concern about the man's ailment because he heals him on the spot. But too often, we enter the room wanting God to be concerned with our sickness and disease and fail to give heed to his concern for the word, faith, forgiveness, and his glory. So the next time you're in God's presence, look around the room. He may be moving in ways you've come to deem mundane, but he's moving. Don't miss it. And don't forget to stand in awe and wonder and give him the glory he is due. So what's next? We'll read Mark chapters 1 through 3 in order to catch the context of Mark 2. Uh, Choose your favorite translation and make a list of observations from Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Get a clear picture of the room, the people in the room, and their priorities. And before you leave the room, be sure you know what's important to Jesus and align your priorities with his. While you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. You can hop on Twitter or Instagram at michellekneezat. Uh, my public page on Facebook is Michelle L. Nizat, and we can talk about what you're learning. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network. Check out other podcasts in the network and Christian music resources at newreleasetoday.com. And I would be honored if you follow the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. But if you sign up on my website at michelle michellekneezat.com, then I'm able to email you once a week with the show notes, all the scriptures that I use, all the links to resources that I use in my personal study, whether I mention them or not. And so my featured free 
resource for new email subscribers this week is a one-page PDF of my top five bites. You can get started moving beyond merely reading scripture and you can start interacting with it and use this tool to help. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. With that in mind, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed lately like Cheryl from Missouri, Jill from South Carolina, Connie from Nebraska, Michelle from D.C., and Christine from New Hampshire. Welcome. Now, don't forget, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at michellekneesat.com through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. And if you haven't left a review yet, do that today by heading over to lovethepodcast.com forward slash more than a song. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be featuring Then Christ Came by Mercy Me to dive into scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 446. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.